You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. You're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. A six feet under companion podcast. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Adrian Bain. How are you doing? You know, Sam, I woke up the other morning in a different state. Now of mind and geography. Now why would that be? Because I'm physically in Arizona right now, and it's kind of blowing it's been blowing both of our minds. Dear listener, here's what happened. <laughs> Sam kidnapped me, threw me in the car, packed really good outfits, and for me to wear, and then... Um, this trip was Adrian's idea. <laughs> oh, completely. But I'm very glad that we are on it. Remember how I keep advertising my travel podcast, guys? <laughs> I really bullied Sam into this one. We have, He's paid for mostly, if not everything. We have very... That's not true. Safely... Driven Mir- from Brooklyn. Miraculously safe. Yeah. We did this, I think, in part because we wanted to watch... Recreate the Vegas episode of Six Feet Under. Oh, that uh, yeah. I guess we could do that. We could do We're that. We're going to need a stalker yeah, brother. Yeah. I, which I, don't, I only have two sisters who are, like, of very sane mental health, unfortunately. Yeah, same with my brother. Mm-hmm. I so, know. All of our siblings are really stable and, like, have their lives under control. Would never do anything as absurd as what we have done, for example. No, I don't think so, though. <laughs> that speaks well of them. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. The fringe benefit of being in the picturesque expanses, the vast emptiness of Cane Beds, Arizona, for watching the season one finale of Six Feet Under, is that this is perhaps the most dramatic possible location for the capstone to Mm -hmm. what has been a very dramatic first season. Yeah. Adrian Bain, we stand on the precipice of a deeply emotional experience I just want to make sure. I've already cried today. Like, are we ready for this? This is true. Um, One of the reasons that we came here, listeners, is because this house has four bedrooms in it. Mm -hmm. There are only two of us. That means Adrian and I each have a little podcasting room Mm -hmm. that we go off into. So great. And spend the day making the bleeps and bloops. (laughs) And they are in adjacent rooms. And earlier today, I was preparing to get onto a Zoom call, and I heard Adrian sobbing. (laughs) And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. Oh, no. That's probably not good. Is it okay that I'm talking about this? I don't care. Because the reason you were sobbing is actually, I mean, it's not a good reason, but it's a very lovely and tender reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you like to tell people what it is? Yeah. So I am currently writing the third season of my podcast and just kind of like collecting all the little stories that we are experiencing as we're traveling. This is my first real time in this corner of the world. So we went on this hike the other day and we stumbled upon an animal sanctuary that had this... Best friends. Best friends. That had this incredible 
Pet Cemetery, and not in the creepy Stephen King kind of a way. Like I know you're all assuming a zombie calico cat did not come like bursting out of the ground. So I was writing about it. It was honestly one of the most serene experiences I've had in a very long time. And it just got me thinking about my dogs and both of them. I don't want to say mine completely, but our family dogs. Both 2020 took both of our family dogs. My sister's beloved bloodhound, Hank, and our little family Welsh Corgi, um, Ginger, and I just, I let it out because I think that the human connection to animals is just so, like, raw and unfiltered and sweet, like honey. So, I don't know, that's just why I was crying because I still am, like, kind of mourning the death of my dogs. Yeah. I know Hank is not, if Regina hears this, she's like, Hank is my dog. I know that Hank is Regina's dog, but he was so part of the family. But he was part of the family. He was so part of the family. And it's just like, I just think that human ability to love a creature that is not of our species. And we don't use animals for like survival, you know, like it is exclusively companionship and we give them a love that we don't even love some humans like that, you know? I, I just felt like such a level of peace there that I've never felt at like a human cemetery. This was a truly it was, incredibly serene place. And I, I know we said the name kind of tongue in cheek, but it was actually called Best Friends. No. You walk into the, they call it the, um, what did they call that place? The Rainbow's Rest. The Rainbow's Rest, which I had never heard of that euphemism before. Well, the, the, um, the euphemism is the Rainbow Bridge. Some of you out listening to this probably know about this, but it's an idea amongst pet owners, as I understand it, that when we die, we are reunited with our pets on the Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> um, and but the the Rainbow's Rest was the actual cemetery where they have the the headstones for all the animals that are buried at Best Friends. <laughs> and they one of the most incredible things about it, obviously, there were. There were bricks in the walking path that had inscriptions on them, and there were ornaments hanging in trees, and there were actual headstones like humans would have. They were more like, they looked a little bit more like a dog tag, but they were like, Tabby, Miss Pickles, Chewbacca, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like a full-on tombstone, but yeah, there were tags that had all the names on them. Um. But the the thing that I found the most serene is that some people had decided to, in honor of their pet, hang wind chimes yeah. with a little message on, I don't know what you call the parts of a wind chime that hang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a little message to the pet hanging on the wind chime, and then you would stand there, and it's in this huge canyon, and the wind would come whipping through, yeah. and you would hear the chimes, and it was like the animals were singing to you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that I've had that same kind of like really intense experience at a human cemetery the way that I did at this dog one and or this animal one, because I think there's something so unadulterated about the way that we love our pets. So many of the messages and inscriptions were were things to the effect of, thank you for giving us the opportunity to love you. Yeah. Yeah. What a beautiful sentiment to express. Like yeah. we should say that to our human family. Yeah, we don't do that more. with our human families. It's so much more complicated. 
And I think there, there, it, it was simultaneously the most serene place I think I've ever been and one of the most joyful. It, it, it felt yeah. so celebratory of the lives these people had had with their animals. Yeah. I'm going to cry again. Well, I do think there is actually six feet under connection to this. This is not just us being indulgent about our trip. Yeah. Because it was a real brush with what it means to remember and what it means for beings to linger. And to honor. After they are gone. and Yeah, and to to honor honor that. And the whole first season has been about what it actually means for the Fisher family to have that experience with Nathaniel Sr., yeah, which we haven't really come around to. He has been absent from the last few He's episodes. Been absent. That's um, really interesting. I bet that he'll come back in this last one. That's yeah. my prediction. I just wanted to recap one little thing. Yes. That I noticed when I was editing the last episode is that in the last episode, episode twelve, that's the one where Billy lures Nate to his apartment. Billy is holding a box cutter. He's not holding a knife. He's not holding a gun. He's holding a box cutter. And I think that there's something really interesting and symbolic about that is like, it's literally to break apart boxes, containers, things that contain you. And Billy is trying to break out of it. I absolutely adore that. (laughs) That's so apt, Adrian. You're welcome. Because Billy's whole thing is that nobody understands what's inside him. Yeah. That's beautiful. And everyone's trying to put him in a box. Be on your meds. Do this, do that, you know. And he's like, I need to get out. And then later in the episode, he physically does try to get out of his own body. But Can I say, I want to add something to that. that I just think that's so, I just, I know that that was intentional. Do you know what I mean? I agree. I agree. Something that makes me think of in relation to what we were just talking about is that I think an interesting juxtaposition about the experience that we had at Angel's Rest Pet Cemetery and reading the inscriptions there and the experience of watching Six Feet Under is that Six Feet Under is very much about how you think you know somebody and then they die and you realize that you didn't know them at all. Yeah. And I don't say this to discredit the love of pet owners. I have been a pet owner myself, but one of the beautiful things about having a pet is that you get to give your pet the personality that you want it to have. You usually do it based on their behavior in some way, but we ascribe sentience at a human level, judgment at a human level, affection or hatred to these animals. And we're making all of that up and planting it in them because they don't really get a say in no, absolutely not. What we decide their personality is. My family created full-on characters for Ginger. Yeah. Hank, my sister's bloodhound, has the soul of a proper Southern gentleman. <laughs> like, that is very much... There's so much human projection on it. And that's not even offensive. That's just true. I guess I just think it's it's interesting to talk about that in juxtaposition to Six Feet Under because it is much rarer with pets for their personality to be inconvenient to us because we sculpt it. I think that 
one of the things that it felt so serene about the stories we were reading about these pets at Angel's Rest is that I believe that all of them were true. Like, I believe that those interactions went exactly the way those people yeah. felt that they did. And I hope that part of what was wonderful for them about owning those pets was getting that satisfaction of getting to have that kind of loving bond that we don't always get from family. Totally. And that, because that, that, I mean, that was my experience of pet ownership for sure. And I hope it will be again. Um, and I think Six Feet Under, as much as I love it, it can be a hard watch sometimes because it lives in that space. Yeah. Where of, of the inconvenient reality that every person is a snowflake and we try to make death as neat and tidy and orderly as we imagine we would like it to be and try to ha- sculpt a memory of a person in a certain way. And it's, it's just impossible to do that. If you would indulge me, everybody, I wanted to read a quote that was on one of the headstones at the, oh, it was Angel's Rest. That was the name. Angel's Rest, yeah. Angel's Rest was the name of the, the cemetery. Um, and I wanted to read a quote because I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever read. It's attributed to Anonymous, so I don't know who wrote it. Probably a woman. Probably a woman. And I think it speaks to what we were just describing about the cemetery itself, but also to so eloquently to the idea of the lingering presence that people or pets have and um, how it impacts the way we live after they're gone. It goes like this. It's called Don't Weep For Me. Do not stand by my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift uplifting rush of quiet, birds encircled flight. I am the soft star that shines at night. Do not stand by my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. I'm going to cry again. (laughs) Time for episode 13. Let's do it. What's up with you? I'm just thinking about how lucky I am. I love you. You know that, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, Adrian Dane, do you feel that the season finale lived up to your expectations? Oh, yeah. I feel so satisfied. Can we start with the most important thing? Yes. There was a corgi. <laughs> there was a corgi. There was a corgi! Now, I want to say something before we get too far into this. Ooh. The conversation that we had at the beginning of this episode yep. has a lot of eerie overlap yep. with what actually happens in the episode. Yep. And I just, I think people are just going to have to take it on faith that I, as the only one of the two of us who has seen Six Feet Under before, I did not orchestrate that. I didn't remember, catchphrase, any (laughs) of these plot developments. 
And I was so excited about the great three and other points of overlap. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. Oh my god. Where is the little fatty? So, Adrian Bain, what better illustration of how corrosive the influence of Kroner is? Then that in that first scene, mm-hmm. if there was ever... It's a tragedy when anybody dies. Yeah. If there were ever characters in this show who you would want to die. root for the demise of, <laughs> narratively, if nothing else, it would be Gilardi and whoever that woman the, who runs Kroner, I guess, yeah. that he's playing golf with is. And they fake us out. Yeah, Not only do I know. they fake us out that there might be, oh, perhaps somebody will will get to see the softer like, side of Matt Gilardi. Or which one of them is going to die. That's now my, I'm primed to just be like, okay, who's going to die? Right. I thought. And they definitely misdirected us. They completely misdirected us. And then what happens instead is they callously manslaughter an old lady. <laughs> Who's just doing her watercolors and sitting next to her corgi. Which her is corgi. my future. True. I hope I don't get hit in the head with my golf ball, though. I won't let it happen. <laughs> I just think. I think that's so crazy. As But also, it's it's kind of darkly funny. I think. She gets hit, hit in the head with a golf ball? Yeah, that's totally funny. Well, no, I wasn't going to say that. But I was going to say that it, it's just such a, a playful illustration of how deeply irredeemable the Kroner people are. Yeah, they're killing people left and right for their own business. Exactly. But it's actually kind of funny because they, they, don't, do it on purpose. they don't get that business. That's true. You know? That's true. Let's just focus on that, like, info, that first scene as, like, yes. things come out of nowhere in this episode. Things come out of nowhere. Ooh. That's the theme. Ooh. You are so right. <laughs> As? Yeah. I didn't see the Brenda Nate car accident coming. Right. I didn't see the, like, the David kind of having his moment at church. I didn't, like, ever this whole episode, I didn't see... Ruth, Ruth and, and Hiram. Ruth no, and sorry. Hiram. Ruth and Hiram breaking up and then Ruth and Nikolai getting together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did not see Gabe pulling a fucking gun out. Yeah, that I predict We're going to talk about well all him. of these, but like this is all this whole episode was like it's like balls are flying. Oh yeah. Shit's coming out of nowhere. No, you're so right. And also in an episode that ends with Nate confronting his mortality for the first time. Yeah. The fact that it opens with this woman sitting in a chair, minding her own business and a golf ball flying out of the sky and ending her life. Yeah. There's a real book ending. Statistically, can that happen? Like, I guess if it hits you in the wrong part of the brain, well, maybe she had that condition. He has, you know, whoa, Hmm. could be, I don't think we're ever going to find that out. No. Oh my God. So much. So, Here's a question that I had when Tracy shows up and she's flying around the funeral home, making a bunch of demands, looking to bring order through organization of logistics. It occurred to me, do you think part of what is unsettling to David about Tracy is that he sees some of himself Absolutely. I was just thinking that. She's almost like one of the living avatar creatures that happens when when one, when the characters talk to people who have died and they're seeing like yeah, yeah, yeah. versions of themselves. She is she's almost like a living version of that for him. She is 
like Claire's Gabe, like a more extreme version of. Wait, I didn't follow that. themselves. So Claire says in the last episode that Gabe is just a more extreme version of. Yes, right, right. And Tracy is a more extreme version of David, and like hyper organization, hyper cleanliness, like sit up straight, mm-hmm. you know, like not a hair out of place. Yep. And I think that David is really kind of like freaked out by it, you know, in the way that like, I definitely feel the same way when I'm around people who are too similar to me. I'm like, duh, duh, duh. like, I don't. And in this episode, David transcends that or yeah, starts to. He does. He, he mo- makes a decision to move away from shame. Yeah. And in that very heartbreaking scene with Tracy and Nate towards the end. Oh my God. I that was an amazing a, scene. We get a clear sense that she carries a tremendous amount of shame because she feels she's never been shown love. I know. That was... Speaking of that... Oh, no, go ahead. I just kind of wanted to, like, sit in that scene for a second. Because I think that it's... Again, I think what the show does so well is that misdirection. Because... In the beginning, our relationship with Tracy is like, fucking eye roll. What is this lady's deal? And I think that we kind of know that, like, she's lonely. She literally says, like, what's wrong with human connection? Right? That was a very good Tracy impression. (laughs) But the fact that she, we get to see the full, you know, like, the full iceberg, so to say. Like, you know, 90% of the iceberg is underwater. Right. So we get to see the full, everything that's below the surface. So I think that that was a really amazing way to, I don't think that this show lets go of any characters. Characters that have come in repeatedly do have their own little bit of growth and breaking. But I think that as a, as what is the message for this show, for Tracy to say the line, why do we die? I think is really great because she's not a major character. She's not someone who's surrounded by death all the time. It's not normalized to her. And also, like, we give her such little compassion. And in that moment, we're, like, completely there with her. Because we are like, why do we die? And it tees up Nate to give the answer as one of the characters who has learned so much so quickly yeah. about not just the role of death in life, but also the role of death in his family's life. Yeah, and his his life. Yeah. So I just really, I loved that. And I thought it was totally on character that she asked about marriage afterwards. Yes. Well, and speaking of asking about marriage. Ooh, no, not right now. <laughs> this would be Sam. the most... <laughs> Speaking of Tracy, uh-huh. never experiencing love from another person. Oh my god, this is so funny. Except, except for her aunt. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Um, when Brenda is going in to see Billy. Oh. And Nate says, I'll be right outside if you need anything. Mm-hmm. Brenda didn't verbally respond to that. But there was a way that she looked at him. And I had this thought, I wonder if anybody's ever said something that loving to her before. I'll be right outside if you need me. Oh, my God. Just because you, you you can't imagine her parents. No. Anticipating her needs in that way. No. 
And obviously Nate's whole thing is anticipating needs. <laughs> right, right, right. But I just, I just was struck by that in that moment that we've talked so much about her fear of the idea of intimacy with Nate because of how dangerous intimacy feels with her because yeah. of Billy and all these things. It literally gets her into a car accident. A moment later. Yeah. But in that moment, oh, yeah. I feel like she accepts his love. Yeah, totally. She accepts the fact that he is, he's, he's putting her needs first. Yeah. I thought that was an amazing scene. I mean, it, it was very... It was satisfying to be like, okay, we get the apology we deserve. But again, I gotta say it for Emmanuel, there was some weird, there's weird sexual energy coming from Billy. Oh, yeah, when he hugs her close and says, you're so beautiful. Exactly, and kisses her on the forehead. It's, it's, it feels very close. Well, something I thought, and I didn't pick up sec- sexual tension in that moment personally, though no, I can see. But it was. It's definitely still blurring the line, which is Billy's specialty, obviously. Yeah. Oh, wait. Before we go any further, we have to call out the fact that you, having no idea what was going to happen in this episode, pointed out the box cutter thing Mm -hmm. in the intro to this episode. And then Billy literally says, and I quote, (laughs) I'm so lost inside. Yeah. And I don't think I can ever get out. Yeah. (sighs) But you nailed it. Thanks, babe. So, stated for the record, but continuing with that scene, I thought the line, there's there's a line Billy says, it's not a terribly complicated line. He says, I'll be happy if you are. Right. And I just thought, you know, that's not grand lyric writing or anything. It's incredibly simple, but it's such a perfect illustration of what codependency looks like. Yeah, totally. I'll be happy if you are. And I don't think it's any coincidence that in the next scene, when Brenda's in the car with Nate, she's so spun up about the idea that she now has to get married. She now has to have a happy life because she needs to do that in order for Billy to be okay. Oh, I didn't even put that together. I think that's what was happening there. I think she was definitely recontemplating her life and like how much of it she has put on pause or maneuvered around Billy. But I didn't think about how she had this sudden like impetus to be like, okay, it's copy right now, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying she doesn't have those feelings for Nate. Totally. I do think that in that moment, she felt like I have to bring this up right now. I I have to marry Nate to save Billy. Oh. Which is just, again, these are the, this is the toxi- toxicity of codependency bred yep. by the kind of parenting that they had. But Totally. I loved, I loved the line when Brenda was, when Brenda said, my parents had children as fashion accessories. Oof. Oh. Yeah. That was, that was. That was a great line. And only Brenda could say that, you know? But I have to say that scene for me was also a great example of why it's very difficult to write off Six Feet Under. I'm sure some people do, but it's very difficult to write it off as a melodrama because her being so spun up in that moment and demanding to know Nate's position on marriage and that leading to a car accident, in any other show that would feel manipulative and soap opera-y. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this, 
the motivations are so clear that would lead to that moment happening that to me it feel it just feels very earned. Yeah. I don't think other shows would be able to get away with the amount of like drama per episode that this one does. Yeah. If it didn't, to your point, not take any of its characters for granted. Yeah. Okay. This is a little thing. Claire is talking to her father, Nathaniel Sr. Yeah. This happens twice in the episode. Yeah. Where she's talking to him and then it turns out, ooh, Claire was just asleep. She was dreaming about him. Right. Which that reasoning for Nathaniel Sr. to be there, I don't think we've seen previously. And I wondered if you made anything of it. I don't know. I think that... (sighs) Usually he's just a genuine hallucination. I know. I think that's really interesting. But I also think that... This is a weird thing to say, but I think that the dead have their way of speaking to you. And that could be like... Wind chimes in the trees. Could be wind chimes in the trees. That could be a dream or that could be just like a feeling. And I come from a family that like has had those experiences. Both my mom and my uncle have had moments around my grandfather's death, their father's death. That was very like... Uh, clairvoyant. I think he needed to be planted for the last scene. I also think that he is foreshadowing something about Gabe. It's not looking good for Gabe. It's really not looking good for Gabe. Gabe got super triggered by the word six. You know, I think that his... Six? I think that his friends, when they were talking about the whole moo cow thing... Oh my god, They were like, I haven't felt that way since I was six, and then you... And then it closes up on Gabe... And he like takes the smoke and his face changes and that's then how old his brother that's was. how old his brother was. Adrian, you are spot on. Because I, it's so And they also talk about stealing a six pack. Yeah. A sixer. Yeah. Ugh. And also that's great writing. That's great writing. It's so fast. But um And this also harkens back, I, I have to say, to And it's so like it's as impulsive and that moment where he pulls the gun out, that's so impulsive and as chaotic as his brother's actual death, you know? Right. Because I feel like Gabe thinks that he did pull the trigger, you know? Yeah. And he hasn't physically, and I think he's gunning to. Can I as say something? Were. I feel, ugh, oh, I didn't mean to do that. I, I have a feeling that he is going to attempt suicide again. I don't, if I'm like... Reading the tea leaves. That's kind of where I'm feeling the force. And I think I would only feel... I don't know if I would feel that more so if Nathaniel Sr. didn't appear in Claire's dream. Mm-hmm. But he's he's spiraling out. He's getting better. I think Claire's a really great grounding force for him. But I don't think that that's... He's, Claire's not going to be able to fill that hole in him. Well, to the point that we were making, again, in the intro of I'm this gonna episode... I'm going to break Claire a little bit, too. Oof. Oh, oh yeah. God, I can see this. To the point that we were making in the beginning of this episode again, this is a, this whole episode was about people wanting other people to be different than they are. Hiram wants Ruth to be more upset. Um, Interesting. David wants... 
or or Jack wants David to toe the party line. Right, right. And, and that other guy, that other church guy wants him to Yeah. 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 And then the other thing that happens throughout this episode is people give ultimatums about their needs and say, where are you on this? Like yeah. Brenda says to Nate, like, where are you on marriage? Yeah. Gabe says to Claire, am I the last guy you're ever going to sleep with? Right, right. Ruth says to Nikolai at the end, I will, I will never be your be friend, it. I will be your lover, but I will not be your wife. Yeah. And the whole episode is about the, those dynamics kind of being it was a back and forth. Big, every, I feel like every scene was a power play. Yeah. It's like, who's in control right now? But also, to the point that we were making in the intro, Claire has a very... Starts to have a realization in this episode, I think, that all the work that she has been doing to make Gabe better in her mind, I think she's sensing there's something about him that she's not able to change and not able to access. Totally. And I hadn't considered... When we talked about Gabe's suicide attempt previously, the amount of guilt that he is racked with about his brother's death. Yeah. And the degree that to which that is probably playing a role in the overdose attempt and, and all that stuff. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to say about Nathaniel Sr.'s appearance mm-hmm. at the end of this is the other thing that I think it's important for us to keep in mind is that the episode ends on Father's Day. And it began with the death of Good. the patriarch. Call. Good call. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. So That's I good. think you're right. He did have to be planted a little bit to give us some narrative juice carrying yeah. forward into the future seasons. But it also does make sense that he's there because. Oh, that's so good. It's Father's Day. And in a weird way, what's happening. When Nate has his moment of gratitude at the end as he looks out over the party and he, Brenda comes up and says, what's going on with you? And he says, I'm just feeling grateful. Another way to look at that scene is that they don't really need Nathaniel Sr. anymore. They've all, Hmm. over the course of the first season, all changed and evolved so much. Yeah. And that's not to say that they don't honor his memory and love him. But I think what he's probably thinking in that moment is... They have all done so much to evolve past the point they were at when I died. However, an interesting thing about that, I think, is that all the other times we've seen Nathaniel Sr., with the exception of the very beginning when he's alive, the scenes are not from his point of view or perspective. It's always him as reflected through the eyes of the family member that he is appearing to. But at the end of this one, it's just him looking on. Yeah. Do we like that choice? I loved that. I did too. I thought that was very lovely because he's also looking out at this scene of like such... Is convivial the word I want to use? Like Just like convivial, very like filled with life. And we were saying when we were watching it, how good it is that right at the in the last episode, the last two scenes, it's a funeral and then a celebration of someone's life and then a birthday party. Yeah. That's why I think birthdays are so important. It's the most six feet under yeah. 
thing ever. And it's it's close to being on the nose, but it it's like I guess because we don't really know the kid who it's celebrating, it's just it's not like it was Brenda's birthday or Claire's birthday. It was just a birthday. And that made it seem like it wasn't as it, It's not a birthday. It's heavy-handed. A, it's a christening. Oh, it's a christening. Yeah. Another thing about that last scene is Brenda comes up to Nate and says, I love you. We haven't heard her say that to him yet. Yes. She says, you know I love you. That's right. That's right. She doesn't say I love you. Right, right, right. Still, that's too close. That's a little too close. Ugh, poor Brenda. But you in that moment said out loud, they have ironed each other out. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I don't know. I feel like there was a wildness to both of them. They were both a little untamed in certain ways. And they have, like, tamed each other for domestic life. You know? And, like, I don't know. I don't. I think that, like, if you find the right person to do with that, to do that with, it is unbelievably magical. But if you're not, if you're not in a place for that, like, then you obviously don't want to force it. But so what I think about is, like, they were kind of hot messes still figuring it out in their 30s. And together they've kind of been like, oh, the world doesn't have to be so, like, chaotic and. Yes. You know. I do have the sense with both of them that they were so busy running from things. Yeah, totally. They knew what they were running away from, but they had never stopped to think what they were running towards. Totally. In Nate's case, I guess that's literal, since he apparently, as we find out in this, runs three miles every day. So how could he have a medical problem? I mean, I agree with you that both of them, I think, over the course of this season, have realized that they want something that they didn't realize that they wanted. Probably, yes. Or maybe I should say are open to something that... I think they previously thought was closed off to them. Yes. And an interesting thing, I think, is to to ponder in this moment, because you have expressed on the show before that you do not believe in the idea of soulmates. Mm-mm. I have a hard time imagining Nate finding a meaningful partnership with someone who isn't Brenda and Brenda finding a meaningful partnership with someone who isn't Nate. Like, within the universe of Six Feet Under... I do feel like they're they're kind of soulmates. Like the universe brought them together yeah. in that broom closet <laughs> for them to be able to have this moment on the periphery of the christening at the end. Yeah. I think something that will be interesting for you to watch unfold going forward is Nate has already more or less told us why he was living the way he was living. That he was running away from oh, yeah. the responsibilities and the calling that he has now embraced. Brenda has not so much told us that yet in a rare moment of remembering the series that is supposedly my favorite. We do get that information from Brenda in future seasons. Oh, okay. And I think it will address this quality in her that you are noticing. Cool. Okay. So we will revisit it. Yeah, totally. We should talk about the phenomenon that you noticed, which is that the the boy who was murdered in the previous episode i think mark foster was his name yeah yeah um continues appearing to david in this yeah and his injuries are getting worse and worse every time you I see was him notice i was like am i making that up or is his injuries worse i had not noticed it until you pointed it out yeah and then at the end after david he's 
he frees renounces shame. Well, yeah, David literally frees his demons, mm-hmm. and this hallucinate, uh, this hallucination of one of the people that passed was a real like symbol for that shame, mm-hmm. and he let him go, and that yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. David, yeah, wait, let's have a moment with David because this was a beautiful David episode. This was a beautiful David episode. I think we've definitely seen David be the most messy. Yeah. And now he's like, oh, I got it. We've seen him be the most uptight and the most reckless. He's yeah. been more reckless than like Claire than or Nate or any of them. Than Brenda. Yeah. He's, yeah, I mean, since we're talking about recklessness, we should. It goes Billy, then David, which is wild. Well, and with Billy, you know, there's the caveat that he yeah. has a mental illness, whereas yeah. David, that we know about, does not. Yeah. Um, hot take. Mm. Is David the main character? Whoa. Whoa. I wouldn't have said that uh-huh. the first time I watched it. I would have said Nate because I wanted to dress like him. On this viewing, it it does feel to me like David is kind of our anchor. Whoa. I need to think about that one. I do, too. I'm not sure I 100% like- believe it. But at least in the first season, we see all of the characters go... We see all of the characters evolve. But I think the evolution in David, the transformation it's definitely in David the biggest. is most profound. And... It is literally bookended in that the David we meet in episode one is so closed. And the David of episode 13 is so open. David literally says, I have so much more fun with you, Nate. Ugh, little I boys again. Oh, I know. That was so good. I love that scene. That's a really fascinating proposal. Because Nate really, I mean, I know Nate gets this devastating information in this one about his medical condition, but... A lot of the realization, like Nate has, we've, it's been several cycles of episodes now that Nate has realized I have this ability to connect with people emotionally. I sense where people are. Yeah. That's obviously his character. Mm -hmm. But with David, it felt like the discover, this is literally the episode where he says, I'm so fucking sick of feeling ashamed all the time. Yeah. Also, a repeat of the moment at the podium at the funeral director's conference when he, th- he literally was, goes off script. I was thinking that. I was like, is he going to do that again? And he literally goes off script this time, but the script is the Bible. <laughs> he closes the Bible. <laughs> That's a really, I think like percentage wise, we get equal amounts of David and Nate. I think the, I think the show is set up to think that Nate is the main character. But we really don't see him. We don't follow him exclusively. But I think that, I don't know, I think that the show is kind of, it tries to give each section of the family equal time. Interesting. I'm going to think about that between now and the second season. Listeners, let us know. Let us know. Do you think there's a main character? Do Do you think think there's a main, that's a great question. Do you think there is, if not a main character, an emotional anchor in Six Feet Under? who we are meant to orient ourselves around, or do each of us as individual viewers choose (gasps) a member of the Fisher family to orient ourselves around? Just like we choose our pets. 
we got to go now. <laughs> There's not going to be a better ending than that. <laughs> Folks, thank you for listening to the first season of oh Fisher Family God, Ghosts. I can't believe we're here. We will be continuing right on into season two next week. Yeah. And we hope that you will join us for that journey. We're so grateful to you for being on the journey with us to this point. Thanks, guys. If you would like to talk to us about anything, please, that we came really up in this want to episode, know your thoughts on this one. Or if you would like to yell at us about the way we talked about pets, or I did, I won't include Adrian in that. That was on me. FFG at WALT dot FM. Adrian Bain, mm-hmm. what's that podcast you've been making in the other bedroom? It's called Strangers Abroad. Is it? Tell me everything. I am working on a lot of stuff. But you guys will probably hear about this trip. If you're so inclined, Strangers Abroad is a travel podcast. If you are gunning to go out traveling, but are like, I'm too scared because there's still a global pandemic and I don't have a vaccine yet, check it out. Strangers Abroad, you can find it on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I would like to say that I host a show called Family Ghosts, and not only is it about real families dealing with complicated legacies, like the Fisher fam- the fictional Fisher family of Family Ghosts, but we actually have an episode featuring the story of the incredibly talented David Crabb about the familial bond that we feel with non-human family members, I will say. Yeah. It's one of my favorites, and it's called A Boy in a Story. And if any of the pet stuff that we talked about this week resonated with you, I would highly recommend it. I couldn't listen to that episode because it came out the week Ginger died. It, it's if you have recently lost a pet, don't listen unless to you're it. looking to wallow. Yeah, maybe not a good place to start. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thank you for listening. Bye, guys. <laughs>